Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You guys seen that? Um, I guess it's like a meme now, but it's just a, a picture of someone's front porch. I think it was a tweet, actually. It was a picture of someone's front porch was gone from their house. Like someone's actual front porch got stolen in Detroit. And then, no. like, the, yeah, it's, it's shitty, but it was really funny. Like, someone posted out, uh, they tweeted out a picture of their front porch got stolen. And the caption was, can't have shit in Detroit. And that's just, that's just how I feel right now. These whole holidays, like, not getting to do any Christmas at all. Um, I mean, peace and quiet was nice. I'll tell you that. Um, not getting to do any Christmas at all. And then just looking forward to at least watching some NHL hockey and not getting any of that. And then thinking, oh, well, at least I have the world juniors. And here we are with just flat out nothing. World juniors canceled. Can't have, can't have anything good. Well, at least San Jose and Arizona did their best to make up for it last night by scoring three weeks worth of goals. <laughs> The Arizona Coyotes scored seven goals and lost. <laughs> that just tells you everything you need to know about their season. Oh, Evan, did I pass something on to you, buddy? <laughs> um, no, I'm going to have more water, though. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, this has been a gloomy start uh, to the first post-Christmas episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. And I just realized now um, our last episode of 2021. Good. befitting yeah befitting of i guess the last year or two years but um welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk red wings hockey here to talk world juniors and um far too much public health policy i'm ryan Hanna. uh here to dust off my totally real um metal doctorate medical doctorate brad crisco and i'm evan metal doctorate I got it right on the second. Do you know, I told you what my day was like. If I get out 10 coherent sentences on this podcast, I'm doing way better than expected. You, uh, Evan looks how you feel right now. I'll say that. And the only reason I'm being mean to Evan is because he didn't ask me how I'm doing. I could be dying, buddy. He didn't even check in. <laughs> you look the same. <laughs> Thanks. I think. Well, th yeah, you, sure. You you could be dying. Evan sounds like he's dying. Yeah, he does. We're all dying. <laughs> Welcome to Cosmic Insights with Evan Lobsinger. The next three hours. No, uh, I'm back to like 95%, I'd say. I'm uh, a little tickle in my throat still, but uh, I'm through the worst of it. Had a little scare there with my taste. It was fading rapidly, but um, back to consuming mass amounts of Terry's orange chocolate. So all is saved. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, as you might have been able to glean from the intro, lots of crummy news. Uh, the World Juniors were canceled mere hours ago completely, so that is a terrible development that we'll be discussing, I'm sure very calmly. Uh, we'll be talking about the NHL's continued fight with uh, the most recent outbreak, um, how they're handling that, and delayed Red Wings games, among others. And then we're going to be talking about the Red Wings specifically who's on their protocol, what might happen with all of that, what the tactics squad means for them, et cetera, et cetera. And then whatever, whatever other um, malarkey kind of comes up on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. But before we do all that, um, we do want to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma to get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative uh, that was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the, st the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your, offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Oh. Still working through that fog in the brain, getting long sentences out is a little bit difficult. <laughs> um, okay. The World Juniors. Let's do the ugly part first here. Tournament was canceled. Various, I don't know what you want to call it, outbreaks, positive cases, whatever it might be, really started with um, the American team, unfortunately, had to forfeit a game. And then there were more forfeits coming. It slash happened today as the day progressed. And it was just one of those... 
situations where you heard an inkling of a news story and by the time you heard the inkling it was actually happening you know check Czechia forfeited or uh, there's whispers of the tournament maybe being put on pause and there's whispers of the tournament being canceled and you know by today at three or four or something like that we knew for sure that the tournament was um, all done so they made it all of three four days continuing on that the way the news broke today was truly remarkable at the pace i remember i was on my break at work reading about uh, i think it was bob a bob mckenzie thread americans look like they can play the game tonight um explaining how the two players who tested positive what protocols they had to go through and they were basically done for the tournament and then the and then talking about their roommates who probably wouldn't be able to play tonight but should be good for the rest of the tournament barring two negatives so that was the last update i read went back to work there was an incident at work dealt with that open phone whole tournament canceled it was it couldn't have been more than two hours we we were talking in our chat and we were you know planning out when we were going to record tonight and we were saying we might have to delay till later in the evening slash maybe even push until tomorrow depending on when this news breaks three minutes after i said that we knew they were canceling um i'm gonna sound off on this right now I understand that this pandemic has reshaped itself time and time again, and I understand the most recent development with Omicron has just changed the game completely. I know that personally. I'm coming over it right now. I get it. I get that the rules and the policies and the planning and the guidelines were all put in place for a different set of circumstances and a different reality before this all happened. I understand that. I understand that public health units and entire countries and governing bodies and whatever else podcast hosts can't get protocol correctly across the board. So why would we think that a, you know, international hockey federation would be able to get it right? I understand that. Despite all of that, the way this was set up and conducted and run basically eyes closed, fingers crossed, praying to, to whoever above was absolutely there's no result other than this that was ever going to happen this wasn't bad luck this was incompetence i'm sorry i understand it's an opinion and i understand it might be a harsh one but the world juniors were running away where any amount of these positive cases were going to disrupt that flow of the tournament happening then why were the kids playing in this tournament the young men playing in this tournament staying in the same hotel as non-personnel, non-players, fans. Why wasn't it a bubble in terms of who they were allowed to interact with? Why weren't you why wasn't that established from the get-go of these were going to be your your guidelines and your policies regarding how and when games would have to be canceled? I understand Omicron changed the game. I understand there's going to be way more positive cases than they could have ever have accounted for, but even the 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 way it was set up from the start, I don't see how there would have been any other result here. It just seems, I don't know. I, I, I get that it's harsh. I, I just don't understand the rationale here from the IIHF. It's one thing if you expect, okay, maybe if the case rates double or triple, we might have a problem. It, it, 10, 20 times plus what cases were. And there's no reality where the IIHF or Hockey Canada was planning for that. Now, that being said, even with the less contagious version, you probably still should have taken a bit more precaution than they actually did. Um, just with the old, the older variations, if one or two players caught it, it probably didn't mean cancellation of the tournament. It probably meant that isolating that player and his roommate, you could get away with it. I think once we saw the positive cases uh, coming from the American team, we knew it was over. If they stepped on the ice with another team, just with the way this variant acts, there is no way other everybody else didn't have it. There was just no reality. Like, I have three times as many cases at work right now as I did uh, the rest of the pandemic combined. Like, it's just the reality of the world we're living in. So, if one person gets it, everybody gets it. And if you're, you know, dealing with teammates and uh, opponents... um, that have Omicron, 
and then you go back to your hotel where there's a literal wedding reception going on. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. was. Good. That's why I kept saying, I think from the start, part of it was just blind hope, like willing to turn eyes away from it. But I, I was just hoping nothing was going to happen to this tournament. But, you know, in retrospect, not even retrospect, you just didn't want to acknowledge it, I guess. If the NHL was shutting down, the World Juniors weren't going to make it through. <laughs> Unless they had these rigid policies in place from the start, it just was not going to happen that way. Let's send it's- them to the Olympics. <laughs> Let's restart this at the Olympics. Brad, you know full well he does not read your Twitter feed. I know. I know. That's what made it even better. We'll um, We'll get back to that in a second i just want to say this age group they've had a shit ride like it's just been a a raw deal for them from start to finish not to mention the the women's side of things which didn't even get its chance which now i guess doesn't anyways they've these kids look forward to this opportunity. This is a showcase for them to show off their talents to the world. This is them showing 32 NHL teams. This is, this is them showing, you know, teams across the globe what they can do as prospects and professional players, future professional players. And they've lost opportunity after opportunity throughout this pandemic. And this was for a lot of them, the last big one. And it's, it's just a damn shame. Health and safety is first. Yes. I, it does not shake the fact that this is incredibly difficult for these kids. It, it doesn't get rid of the fact that this was, I think, in, again, in my mind, poorly managed from the start. And um, to varying degrees, they didn't have the opportunities that they should have had in this tournament. And then with the, the women's side of the game, they didn't have any opportunity to put on that showcase. We got some hockey. And you might be saying, well, yeah, we got to watch Bedard and Wright and Michkov and, and so on and so forth and Owen Power. And yeah, absolutely we did. And we saw Edvinson. But think of how many guys were, this is their coming out party. This is their way to work into the first round or this is the, their way to get drafted at all. They might not have been noticed before this. That's it. It sucks. It's There's no way around it. Not to mention the development of these players has just been absolutely torched for the past what, 24 months. Think of how much hockey Shane Wright has missed as a prospect. He's not having the, the the kind of year a lot of people were expecting him to have and how much of that can be chalked up to the fact that the guy's not really played a ton of hockey recently. Is it 25 games in the past two seasons? What two seasons should have taken place with? Uh, taken place yeah, in? It's, it's not been... It's a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot of people sitting in their car saying, yeah, Ryan, like that's the world we're living in right now. Or like, yeah, that's the reality of the pandemic. And you're absolutely right. It is. Doesn't stop it from being a shame. It's, it's just a damn shame. At points, people could have done better. At points, it's all people could manage to, to get what we've had, but it does not stop the hurt. And there's no, but here's a light at the, the end of the tunnel. Like it, it's, in my mind, it's been, it, it's a lot of damage that's going to be, feel irreparable to to these prospects. Sorry for the constant doom and gloom. But there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. They're talking about rescheduling it for the summer as a possibility. As long as they maintain eligibility as per the tournament now, so no one ages out of it, because there are players who would age out of it by the summer. As long as you can still play if you're eligible as of December 2021, that sounds fantastic to me. There, There's a very simple fix to that. You picked your roster. That's the roster you're bringing in May or June. They were eligible in December. They're eligible then. That's your roster. You're only switching someone out if they get injured between now and then. Yeah, and then anyone who you substitute, have them be eligible per age or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter. You can bring anybody and you can meet whatever criteria they want because you can pick from the rest of the damn country to <laughs> fill the slot, right? So, you know, they could do that for the U-20s. They could do that for the women's U-18s. Hopefully, they can do that for a couple other tournaments because we've been so starved for hockey this season. I don't think there's anybody out there who's not going to watch a hockey tournament in June that would normally 
check out for the summer just because of the circumstance, right? Like, obviously, will it get the ratings that it would around Christmas and New Year's like it does every year? No. But Edmonton can only half fill that arena right now. I mean, with everybody getting COVID, there's a good chance that not many people are going to have COVID in June. So we might see full capacity arenas again. The IIHF in a sick and twisted way could win from this because they could make more money because they can fill the buildings. Like these are all possibilities. Um, the inverse is also very possible as well, where things just continue to get worse. But uh, at that point you don't rehost it. So it's a moot point anyway. So yeah. Um, ideally all the tournaments that got canceled this month could be made up in, you know, May, June, possibly even July. Um, it's already being discussed. Um Anybody, most people say if it's feasible, they'd be on board, but there's still a lot to go into that. So hopefully it works out, but I'm at the point where I'm not holding my breath. I'd want it to be where they could get it in before the draft confidently. Like you need it in before the draft. Otherwise, there won't be a point. Well, not that there would be no point to playing, but it would... It would have the biggest impact for the players, if especially the ones I was talking about who aren't obvious picks to be displayed before the draft. I think that's kind of fun to shake up draft lists that close to the draft. It's a little artificial and scouts will hate it, but it would be fun for like for the viewers. Um, and like you mentioned, I want all tournaments that were canceled. I want the same energy being put forward on both sides of the game. And I understand that there's not going to be as much money garnered from, you know, for example, the women's tournament. It's not really the point, though, right? Like it's an investment in them, the players, their development, and it's investment in the future game as well. We don't need to get into all the obvious points about why it should be done. It should be done in good faith. It should be done. So if they do it for one, I want to see them do it for all. But yeah, um, I think the summer would be cool. A lot of logistical hurdles and not saying it's automatic. So I don't think anyone should go out there expecting and coming from someone who just criticized the double IHF and believe hockey Canada or the Oilers actually were involved in the organization of the tournament. I had a lot of criticisms for them, but rescheduling for the summer is no small task. So hope for it. Fingers crossed. And I I hope they gun for it, but I, I dare I say, let's, if we've learned anything over the last two years, let's not try to plan six months out. (laughs) It's usually a recipe for failure. Yeah. The, for those people who are saying, well, at least 2022 can't be any worse. Don't tempt fate. I'm not a superstitious person, but maybe just don't. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's talk about the good things. What did we see from the Red Wings prospect in that tournament? A very limited amount, first of all. I mean, the Americans got one game in. So how much of Carter Mazur and Red Savage did we see? Fantastic hit from Carter Mazur. I thought he looked great in pre-tournament play. Red Savage had that high hit that he got uh, tossed from the game for. And other than that, they didn't really get a chance to showcase much. Um, Kosa didn't even dress. Sebastian Kosa didn't even dress for Canada, which... Yeah, that's because second pre-tournament game was a goddamn disaster so that not surprising Eh, i shouldn't say surprising i thought he was going to get be the backup to dylan garand because garand was a returning player and has better numbers in the whl this year but yeah brochu's not all that good so i thought koso would at least get the backup role over him so that was disappointing but like i said i think he let in was it seven or eight goals in his uh second pre-tournament game so yeah, he pitched the shutout in the first game and then got smoked in the second, so it happens. Yeah, and you know what? And I'm not sitting here saying it's some kind of conspiracy, I'm, but as someone who's followed Hockey Canada before, they're always weird with goalies. They're very weird with goalies. I can't think of a major international tournament where the Canadians – you can probably count on one hand the amount of times the Canadians have had one goalie and had that stay – the goalie of the tournament through and through. It's kind of like the hallmark of Canadian international hockey is you do a goalie switch and all of a sudden the team is on fire and the goalie is on fire. And anyways, I think Kosa would have factored in at some point throughout the tournament. I was kind of expecting it, but was a shame to not see him dress in the end. It didn't matter. Uh, Donovan Sobrango scored. Was good. good. Was very good. He had a, so obviously the game against Austria, not, 
a lot you can read from that game. Uh, other than he had like, I forget, I want to say, I forget who he set up, but, uh, set one of his teammates up for a breakaway on like a ridiculous 120 foot seam breakout pass. That was just beautiful. But yeah, in the, in the game against Czechia, he, uh, he had a really strong game defensively and, um, Things were going off the rails for Canada early. They were down 3-1 early in the first period, which I didn't think anybody thought was going to happen. And then Owen Power got it within one. And then sure enough, uh, last minute of the first period, Czechs have a two-on-one. They kind of fumble the puck a bit. Sabrango steps up, takes it, makes a quick pass, turns it, jumps into the rush, ties the game. Like, fun fact, that's his... uh, First goal in North America since he was a Kitchener Ranger two years ago. <laughs> so it's good oh, to see him. Re- that's funny. Yeah. So it was good to see him uh, refine his offensive form because he actually was uh, a pretty decent offensive defenseman in Kitchener, just, you know, jumping to the AHL level at an 18 year old that went about how you would expect offensively. But yeah, he had a, a really, really solid tournament. First, uh, Real international play for him in a while since I want to say he was 16 or 17 uh, in the U17s. So, yeah, 16. And he looked comfortable and uh, was playing a regular shift for Canada. Take that as a huge, huge plus in his development. He was skating ahead uh, of defensemen who were drafted ahead of him in the same draft. So, looking like a real good pick right now. Emil Vero, I thought, looked good as well. Um, would have loved to have had more tournament. I was really excited to watch him. And Jan Bednash, again, the Czechs can only glean so much from that. He had a really good game against Germany. Oh, yeah. Really good game. There was a lot of shots. He lost in overtime on a puck that ah, he probably should have stopped in overtime. But I forget. He he only allowed one goal on. I want to say it was like 30-something shots. He had a strong game. And I guess the story of the very limited tournament for the Red Wings won't come as a surprise are the Swedes, Um, Theodore Niederbach and Simon Edmondson. Niederbach first, two goals in two games. Again, I thought looked impressive, factored into the team's play in a big way in my mind. Um, That's another player where the Red Wings may have you think about Sabrango, where a, a guy who wasn't picked in the first round but still should be a significant asset for them, Theodore Niederbach, in the same vein there for me. Those two goals were, again, you want to see more tournament, same as Vero. You want to see more tournament to see a bigger sample size, see how he factors into play, especially in, in key games um, over the course of time. But was nice to see him net those. Well, Sweden had a game against Russia, so that was one of the – better matchups of the few games that were played where it was power against power. Um, Niederbach obviously looked very, very good that game. Um, he was shooting more, which was a positive because that's been one of the criticisms against him um, is he's not aggressive enough with the puck. So for him to walk away with two goals is not nothing. Um, but yeah, he definitely, as far as the Red Wings prospects goes, he wasn't the story for Sweden. Simon Edmondson, man, the way that guy moves at his size, it just never fails to blow me away. You could make the case he was the best player in the tournament, albeit how brief it was. There's other guys, Bedard, Michkov, and a few other guys who would definitely get consideration. Edmondson was in that conversation. He was having himself a tournament three points against russia included a sh- including a short-handed breakaway goal as a defenseman <laughs> which is just damn impressive his transition game was incredible um his defensive game was solid uh he was making things happen in the offensive zone constantly yeah this uh it th- Obviously, it sucks for everybody. Even a guy like Sabrango was having a very good tournament, and this looked like it was going to be a really good confidence boost for him. This was shaping up to be Simon Edmondson's uh, breakout party for the rest of the world. Like we we've been following him in the SHL, so we know how good of a season he's had. Oh, nobody outside of Red Wings land and prospectors are really paying attention, so they don't really know. This could have been his platform to go. Yeah, guys, I probably should have went higher in that draft. But 
it is what it is. At least he had two very, very good games. So we're not walking away disappointed at all. But yeah, for, for him above everybody else, it was a real shame he couldn't get more games in. I, I think Bedard and Michkov would have been the, for obvious reasons and probably well-deserved reasons, the eventual MVP conversation leads. Uh, but yeah, I agreed. Edvinson was just, he dominated play. He drove play. He was the most apparent player on the ice every time he was on there. Just looked so good. And again, it was a couple of games, some pre-tournament play. It is what it is. It's a small sample size, but it's really nice for that to be displayed for Red Wings fans. Any kind of new test, any kind of view into progress, to development, to how this guy might factor into the Red Wings in the future is a welcome one. And much like Cider before him, he has passed outstandingly so far. Different player. It's not that he's not the same style of player as Cider, of course, but watching him play, you're like, oh, I'm going to be, as of right now, I'll be pretty surprised if he doesn't factor into the Red Wings blue line next year. He could have a bad camp, right? The same way Raymond could have not made the Red Wings. It was it had he had to play his way onto the team. He could have a bad camp, but as of right now, I view this as within Simon Edmondson's control whether or not he's playing for the Red Wings next year. It's not really a hot take, but opportunity is going to be there. Everybody on the left side of this defense, but Jordan Osterley is a UFA. There's going to be a spot to win. And he is in the driver's seat. I know a lot of people are comparing him to Cider. The one thing that is worth noting uh, going into next training camp is Mo Cider, because of the pandemic and everything, had two full years between his draft and when he made his Red Wings debut. This would only be one season between for Edvinson, so he won't be as far along his development path as Cider was going into this season. So if you're, even if Edvinson's impressive, but he's, off has a much slower start than cider did which let's be honest he will because look at what the hell cider is doing this year it is going to be with the context of cider had a full extra year to develop so if edvinson doesn't make the red wings next year it's not the end of the world it might be even for the better just because well the red wings will look at most cider and go oh yeah that worked let's do that again so it's definitely within the realm of possibility but i think you're right in the fact that there's a strong chance the way he's playing, he could do what Lucas Raymond did this year and just force the Red Wings hand because we all assumed he was going to Grand Rapids. He came into preseason and went, the hell I am. And it worked out well. Edmondson's going to have every chance to do that next year. Will he? Won't he? Who knows? Especially, it might be tricky though, because if he stays in the SHL, that means he probably doesn't come over for training camp. So the Red Wings will have to make up their mind pretty early of, He's either staying in the SHL or we're going to audition him between Grand Rapids and Detroit. So, which is what I would do, honestly. So, but I, we won't know. I don't see a world where they're not in the NHL or he's not in the, or sorry, not in North America next year in some capacity. Yeah. Unless there's some pandemic reasons again, where, you know, people try to restrict travel as much as possible and yada, yada, yada. But eh, by that point, even if you want to be a little optimistic, he should be in North America. You're saying we're still going to be talking about the pandemic in the <laughs> in that many months? Uh, no, I, I think Edvinson and you pointed to this, Brad, and I think it's a very fair point. There's more opportunity with him on the defense uh, on the defensive side of things, just in terms of personnel. Like you said, Osterley is is the only one signed on the left side through next year. Correct? Yeah. There's not a lot. Literally, in his way. the only one: Stahl, DeKaiser, Letty, all UFAs. There's not a lot in his way, and in terms of the Red Wings uh, forwards this year that Lucas Raymond had to work through, that was a much more substantial list. I think, in reality, Steve Eisman was loading this team as if Lucas Raymond wasn't going to break through. Like there was contingency plans. He had to outplay a lot of guys, especially to make the first line. So it's not quite the same. And I think you also made a very good point that I want to repeat. Don't expect what Cider is doing out of Edvinson. You can't expect every rookie to put up Calder level performances to come in. And that does not mean that they are a lesser player. And does that that does not mean they have a lower ceiling or anything like that. It's just it's hard to be a rookie in the NHL. It's very hard to be a potential rookie of the year in the NHL. We're just kind of blessed to have two of them on the Red Wings right now. So overall. Terrible news that the tournament was canceled. Terrible for the players. 
Um, just bad vibes all around. But from what we saw from Edmondson and Niederbach and a few other of the Red Wings prospects, Sabrango, um, there are some positives to draw from this. So um wasn't all great, but at least we got to see Edmondson dominate. I do love how... <laughs> I do love how the rest of the hockey world is slowly taking notice of the Red Wings again. And they keep like telling Red Wings fans to like say, hey, like heads up. They like, don't feel bad. This team might be good again soon. And Red Wings fans are like, yeah, we've uh, we've been watching. We start so- prospect prospect profiles in November. We know. Yeah. <laughs> we were there, we were there for his baptism. Trust me. We're OK. Yeah, we know. We've been scouting this kid since he was three yeah um, uh the one guy who uh, if we're going to talk about people who had bad tournaments in the smallest of sample sizes so i saw i thought yaroslav askarov looked terrible again i don't know what his problem is in with these world junior tournaments but i expected him to be throwing up donuts immediately and he got pulled right he looks terrible like <sighs> His stance is like so wide and his hands are in a very awkward position. I don't really see any uh, any NHL goaler, goalies play that way. So he's going to have to change something because I expected him to be very, very good. And that first game was a bit, another big head scratcher. Sorry the- to circle back to a conversation we had earlier just because um, IIHF President Luke Tardif is doing his presser now. Yeah. Uh, he says uh, they hope to come back with a uh, quote unquote good surprise in the next month or two. And he's making it clear he wants to restart the competition in a better way. And then Scott Wheeler adds, as reported, this summer is their focus. All right. Fingers crossed. Um, to Evan's point about the goalies. Yeah. It really, Wallstead was the only big name goalie prospect who walked away from this tournament looking any better. I think it re-solidified him in a lot of people's minds as the top goaltending prospect right now. Um but yeah, Askarov, that one's this it's is not third the year first- in the tournament, right? Like you'd expect him and he plays in a men's league. He's played in the KHL since he was like sixteen years old. Like this tournament should be like playing like this is a practice. This should be practice environment for him. It's funny because we're about to preach, you know, don't panic about Kosa because of one preseason or pre-tournament game that had him scratched. Um, every goal is going to put up stinkers. And then we're also going to sit here and have this conversation about Askarov. But yeah, this like you're like you're saying here, Evan, this isn't the first time I think he hasn't had a stellar performance to say the least. You got to be a little bit worried about the kind of draft capital that was spent on Yaroslav Askarov. Something does have to change. Seemingly. Definitely still young, and obviously there's a, a ton of potential in his game, and he can definitely adjust to a North American style of goaltending. You just would hope to see in a tournament like this that he's just a brick wall and nothing is getting past him, but it was still some of the same questions we probably had last year about his performances. It's just very, very perplexing, really. That's a shame about the. That's another shame about the shortened tournament is like goalies get such a raw deal in these tournaments. You're not playing with the defensive group you usually play with. You're not playing with the same systems often that you're used to playing with. You're not playing against the same shooters you've been, uh, you know, versed against, well versed against all year. I just, it's hard for them. And if there's anyone shaken up by international tournaments the most, it's goaltenders. And you only remember goaltenders by single games, right? Not entire periods. It's it's hard. They have one bad game and you have no opportunity to recover, especially if the tournament gets canceled like this. So now all people are gonna remember is Kosa didn't get on the the get on the bench even for a game. All people are gonna remember is Askarov's stinker, and you don't have the rest of the tournament to play through to try to redeem yourself. And even if you have a bad tournament, that does not make an entire goalie prospect, but they just get a raw deal. I keep thinking back to my one, one time we were playing and we had a backup goalie come in for a huge playoff game. We ended up winning in overtime. It was game seven. We won in overtime. He made a couple of key saves and we were talking to him in the room after. And I told this story before the podcast, but 
we were kind of like laughing. We were like, oh man, that must have been intense. And he looked like looked shaken. Like he came in cold. He said, you don't understand. You make a bad play and you make a bad play. You might, I don't know, you have to go recover or whatever. It's a mess afterwards. He's like, if I make a bad play, we lose the game. And it's just a whole different ball game for goalies is what I'm trying to say. So you feel for Askarov, you feel for Kosa, but yeah, you make a good point, Evan. There's something to be to be thought there for Askarov in general. Um, I tweeted this, and I want to give it a couple minutes of conversation as well. Shane Wright, in my mind, still the best prospect of this draft, still a worthy first overall pick, still whoever wins that lottery is going to be getting a fantastic player, or should at least. It really is, though, Michkov and Bedard. Those are the guys who we might be talking about years from now as defining their generation of draft classes. I know people might be saying, you say this every year about this guy. You said that about Lafreniere. You said that about Wright, and you're always moving no, on. It's like, it's like I, I, I just want to put it in relative terms. I wouldn't take anything back that I said about Lafreniere, his development notwithstanding, um, or Shane Wright so far. But Bedard and Mijkov, these guys scream special. Like, if if Bedard and Wright were both eligible for the draft this year, I'd still take Bedard. <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. No doubt about it. He's a year younger and had and is having a better year slash better tournament. Um, the, the last guys we talked about to be McDavid Matthews level type first overall picks was McDavid and Matthews. There hasn't been a guy like that in the draft. Now, we had hope, and there's still possibility Shane Wright could be like maybe towards the Matthews tier, but it's looking less and less likely as the year goes on. Although, uh, like Ryan said, he's still, as of now, the slam dunk number one. But Dard and Michkov are Matthews, McDavid level possibilities. Like, Connor Bedard was the first 16-year-old to score a hat-trick for Team Canada in the World Juniors since Wayne Gretzky. And then just for good measure, he scored one more. And I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, it was Austria. Well, Crosby and Spezza and Lindros and all and McDavid and all the other 16-year-olds who played in this tournament, they all played the bottom feeders. They all had the you know, Denmark's and Germany's and whatever, pick whatever the worst team was any given tournament. They played them. They didn't put up four goals. <laughs> it, even in the game against Czechia, it took Bedard like a period to move from the 13th forward to a top six role. <laughs> Actually, I think Bedard got his first point in the first period on Sabrango's goal. Uh, he's special. So is Michkov. Michkov might even be better. But uh, Michkov's definitely going second overall, though, because of that KHL contract situation. Because you're getting three extra years out of Bedard versus what you're going to get out of Michkov. And Michkov is a late two th- uh, 2004 born, whereas Connor Bedard is a true 2005 born. So that's worth noting already. Um, but it's crazy to think Michkov could be in this tournament for two more years after this <laughs> this khl team lets him go <laughs> watching them play you get the same kind of vibes as when you watch uh, mcdavid or you i hesitate to say crosby and, and ovechkin and probably the mcdavid comparisons will seem foolish by the end because you're talking about guys who are on top 10 15 20 all-time lists right but you watch the way Connor mcdavid plays hockey you're like oh he does whatever he wants on the ice He's not playing hockey. He's deciding hockey. He's deciding how this game is being played on his shift. Michkov and Bedard give you a lot of that. And you notice that right away with them. You know when they're on the ice. You know when they do things. They just make things happen. And it's almost seemingly at will. Every facet of their game. It's almost comforting to know that the Red Wings are going to be good too good at that point to really factor into the draft lottery conversation or even if they miss the playoffs next year it won't be barring some kind of regression anything can happen year over year injuries whatever just a random bad year uh even if the red wings are out of the playoffs they likely won't even be in range to win and move up to first or second overall and that's almost comforting because to lose a draft lottery where those guys are in it is like (laughs) we wouldn't be able to stop ourselves from hyping it up 
like at all. Does not matter everything we've learned over the past however many years of doing this podcast and covering the draft lottery and these prospects. Those prospects are good enough where we would not be able to to resist hyping it and then just the heartbreak that would come after. Just we would break ourselves to pieces. Yeah, we're sitting here uh, like, you know, losing our mind because the Red Wings lost the last three draft lotteries. But right now, you can make the case the Red Wings have the best player from each of those drafts. Sider's making a case. Raymond's making a case. Edmondson's making a case. Are any of them going to likely be number one overall in a redraft? No, probably not. But the fact they're all in the conversation is a really damn good sign. Um, And even though, you know, like I said, the odds are not in favor of the Red Wings getting Shane Wright this year. But hey, this is a very deep draft at center. A position of need for the Red Wings. How convenient. So for how worst case scenario it's been, it's actually been playing out best case, worst case scenario so far. Yeah. So, you know, if like you said, if they're not in a position to lose the Bedard, Michkov, and even Adam Fantilli, who's going to be in the top three with those guys, is looking unreal. Yeah, that's that's probably the time where it would actually kill you to not win the draft lottery. So if you're not going to win the draft lottery, it's better to not be a part of it. <laughs> uh, some people are asking about or some people might be asking and we might have glazed past this with Michkov. Matt V. Michkov has um, a five year contract that he's currently on with SKA St. Petersburg in the KHL. Which means unless there's some kind of clause in that contract that we don't know about where there's an NHL exit or any kind of funny business goes on there, he won't be available until the 2025-2026 season. So even though his draft year is 2023, he's not going to be available for until three seasons later. Um, Which for a player of his caliber, all things projecting is a noted disadvantage to the point where even if he's marginally better than Bedard, he'll likely be drafted behind. That's the information as of today. Let's talk closer to his draft day. Let's see what's changed, but just so you know. Um, really, all the tournament, uh, the, the reason the tournament was canceled was so Brad Lambert was stopped having a great tournament, so he might actually still have a chance of falling to Detroit, but he looked good. Tony, the uh, making the prophecy self-fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how annoying Lambert comes out firing does great everyone's like oh he's not going to drop down so many boards and now we're just like damn it (laughs) that was a potential Red Wings pick later on hey Logan Cooley didn't get to play that much so maybe that's the play now (laughs) (laughs) what insights do you have on other guys who might be within Detroit's range from the tournament uh, if there were any your check got hurt very early in the uh, Canada Czechia game. So even though he looked good for the, I don't know, 20 minutes he played, uh, not much to glean there. Slovakia had a lot of draft eligible prospects, but they put up kind of a stinker in their one game against the States. Like they were competitive, but none of those guys really did anything to stand out. Cooley looked good that game, but again, not a ton to stand out. The only draft eligible guys that, elevated their stock in a very small sample size was Bedard Michkov and probably Brad Lambert. Not a whole hell of a lot to write home about anybody else. Like even Shane Wright, he looked fine, but he didn't do enough one way or the other to really change his draft stock. So we are pretty much in the same spot we were before the World Juniors. We just got some cool Edvinson's really good clips. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah. Not to discount Sobr- like and, and, and Donovan Sobrango finally got to score a goal. <laughs> yeah. There it was more than that, but it's a small sample size and it's fun to joke about it. Okay. Uh let's transition into some NHL talk and specifically the Red Wings. So as predicted almost with um with the Red Wings in the NHL, they were going to be further postponements uh, of games beyond just the 27th. So obviously the 27th was uh, postponed uh, as was against the Rangers, as was the 29th uh, against the Islanders. Both of those were away games for the Red Wings. So right now we're recording on the 29th and not, you know, covering a game. 
So that's a given. The next scheduled game for the Red Wings is the 31st, so New Year's Eve game against the Capitals at home, uh, 7.30 Eastern. And it's not to say that that's automatically going to be postponed. Um, NHL games have been happening. They've been basically working by jurisdiction. Like, are they in Canada? Do they have to cross the border? What's the local, you know, public health protocol, et cetera, et cetera. It's all a big disorganized mess, which is the tagline for for COVID and professional sports right now. But um, the Red Wings currently on protocol are Adam Ernie, Jordan Osterley, Lucas Raymond, who was added uh, over the holidays, and Nick Letty. Ernie and Osterley might come off the protocol tomorrow, I believe. Uh, Valeno and Gagne came off today. Zadina and Nedeljkovic came off earlier this week. So it's players are going to be coming in and out. Um, so we'll see. I, I actually have a glimmer of optimism that the 31st, the New Year's Eve game might go. I The, the list of Red Wings who have not been put on the COVID list this season is much shorter than the list of players who have. So not every team is through the worst of it yet, but the Red Wings are through the worst of it because the only significant players on the Red Wings who haven't been put in the COVID protocol yet are Larkin and Sider, if I'm not mistaken, because Bertuzzi has, Raymond has, Nadelkovic you're, has, Letty has. You're asking for jinx it's territory gonna happen. here. Like, it's, it's, gonna- not a, it's not an if they end up on the protocol. It's They're going to. That's just the way it's going right now. That's why so many games have been postponed. You know, Zadina has been on the list. Um, Not that it's ever good for anybody to get COVID, but the Red Wings having so many players on the COVID list and in the protocol and in the quarantine during the pause is a benefit versus the rest of the league who had to go through it before or it's going to go through it uh, coming up. Um. You know, we were joking about it. It's we're never happy that Lucas Raymond got COVID, but at least a week of his quarantine was when there were no Red Wings games scheduled, which is a benefit because as of right now and before Friday, he has missed zero games while on the COVID protocol, which, you know, for him and the Red Wings is a plus because the less games he misses, the better because there's a reality now where the only game he'll miss might be New Year's Eve. So, you know, depending on when he tests negative and yada, 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 it might be a bit longer. Based on the NHL's new protocols, there's a reality, too. He might even play New Year's Eve. Unlikely, but there's, from what I was to understand reading it, a possibility because it's only a yeah. five-day quarantine now. And he tested positive, I want to say, Christmas Eve, although that hasn't been confirmed, I don't think. So, yeah, let me let me jump in with that, actually. So, there's been yeah. two major changes uh, to the, uh, NHL's protocols. And, you know, like I've mentioned in episodes past, this was always going to come and the protocol is going to continue to be adjusted. First of all is the addition or the reemergence of the taxi squad. So we're going to see a version of the taxi squad, um, come back this season, which was always on the table. I think they had that kind of in their back pocket. So pretty much teams will be allowed to have a taxi squad of up to six players to make emergency recalls from the minors. Uh, if COVID absences would cause anyone to play without a full lineup, uh, under the new rules, any team that has, uh, is any shy of having 12 forwards, six defensemen and two goalies available can bring up a player from the AHL without playing a game, um, with fewer than 18 skaters. So they pretty much are going to be protected against having to be in that situation, which was happening and it's garbage, um, Emergency recalls can be made up of players with salary cap hits of $1 million or less, um, which is an increase from the previous limit. I think it was at, set at the minimum salary or 850 or whatever it was. They can be – and then there's a bunch of other provisions. They can be on the um, taxi squad for 20 days. They'll be uh, in the minors as per cap purposes or for cap purposes as per last time. It's a little different. The rules are, you know, as convoluted and annoying as you're going to expect. You're going to see a ton of paper moves again. You're going to see a lot of that. The fact that they're in the minors for cap rules means that there is going to be some money saving. I think there's a protection or something. They get like a $500 per day um, additional payment or whatever it is for being on the taxi squad for anyone who cares about the real dollars. Anyhow, 
that has come into play. And also in accordance with the adjustment to the CDC guidelines, the NHL and the NHLPA have agreed to modify uh, the isolation period after a positive test from 10 days to five days for fully vaccinated players who meet the required conditions. And the conditions have something to do with tests, whether they're asymptomatic, you know, whether they have a fever, how many uh, negative tests that they can produce in X amount of hours, whatever it might be. And then they have to also be cleared by the physician. There's all those rules in it. But pretty much if they meet those standards, then the there's a potential that it's no longer a 10-day isolation, it's a five. So that feeds into what was Brad was saying about Lucas Raymond. But in general, it is better news for the league that if these guys are asymptomatic and you know it's clear that they've recovered sooner, they're not out for a week and a half anymore. It's five days. Fewer games missed. And there's a potential here that the season might be able to to run along less impeded. I don't want to say unimpeded. That's not a thing anymore. This earmuffs uh, for the children in the room. But this is literally the NHL going, fuck it. We're powering through. If you get COVID, you get COVID. It's, again, I don't like doing public health policy on this show. I'm neither a doctor, as my parents will remind you, nor do I play one on a podcast. I The extent to which I was confident speaking medically on anything ended after my first ever uh, organic chemistry midterm. But in all seriousness, the NHL's policy here is, hey, everyone's struggling right now with Omicron. It's ripping through everybody. The best we can do is mitigate. And whether you like it or not, and whether it's, you know, indeed <laughs> wholly inhuman and indecent and just kind of crass to say, they're gonna potentially be in a window of clear here. They're, they're gonna have some breathing room because a lot of these guys have Brad, as Brad has said, have either had it or will have it soon. It, it's just kind of it seems to be the nature of the beast. Um, and so they're going to mitigate as much as they can, but. I actually see a way out here for the NHL. I think they might make it to the end of the season. I just want to add one thing in this, and and I think it should be an assumption, but it's worth saying it loud again. If this is coming off as crass or, you know, inhumane or, you know, we're talking about people and in people's lives, that's not lost on us. This is something that's affect, uh, affecting, infecting, well, well, affecting everyone. Um, the human element of this isn't lost, but for people who are sometimes upset by how we approach this, it's a little objectifying, you know, you're joking around about players' health. It's never taken lightly. It's a little bit just, it's the reality of the situation we're in, and it's a commentary on the hockey aspect of it only. Um, the only reason there's comfort in, in discussing this is because the league seems to be protected from severe cases or severe adverse effects, which has something that's fortunately held true so far. Um, you obvi- and, and this is something, I mean, we tweet it and we say it every time. Anytime anyone's added to the list, we hope they get through it well. Hopefully it's nothing bad um, and, you know, they get over it quickly if they end up feeling it at all. But just know that the human element of this is not lost on us and it's it should be a, an assumption every time that that is the the first and foremost thought from not just our minds but anyone any fans anyone talking about this anyone covering it you, there just aren't enough hours on each podcast to give that the credence it needs every episode because it's the reality of every waking moment of our lives for the past 2 years off my I'm glad I'm glad you still have the energy to give that disclaimer because I am well past it. I don't. Give I, a shit. I know we sometimes I, go a long I, time without saying. Yeah, but. I, I think people know that when we talk about this at this point, we're talking. This is how the NHL is viewing it, and this is how the NHL is handling it, and this is in the context of hockey. We're not doctors. Evan just plays one on our podcast, and the NHL also just got gifted three weeks to use to book any games that they need to make up. So it's. Really is a win-win for the NHL right now. They're gonna lie about a lot of tests the week before that, so that so that COVID party gets extra strong. So all the players are on the protocol during the break. <laughs> you Ball. know, Batman. That thoughts cross Batman's head at least once. How much break is there actually gonna be? It's just gonna be filled with rescheduled games. Well, depending on arena availability, it might not be as many as you would think. There'll be some, but I yeah. don't think it's gonna be a ton. Okay. Uh, any other league news that we want to talk about? Because 
so much else has happened. Uh, happy belated birthday to Mickey Redmond. Um, There's a Winter Classic game. Nobody yeah. cares. I feel like no one's talking about that at all. Because nobody cares and they haven't for years. Well, unless isn't there like your market, nobody cares. There's also severe weather, like a severe weather warning. And they, I've already seen the thing that they're going to go through it. Like they're going to play through it. And like, <laughs> I don't blame them at this point, but I understand um, how this is just the universe throwing everything at them. I, I guess the only other thing, we'll save the Brad Marchand tweet for another day because I think that's a really interesting conversation about the Olympics. And we've talked about the Olympics the last couple episodes. Listen, the NHL is not unhappy about it. Uh, that's about as far as I'll go with that. <laughs> I just, I think it's poignant that he tweeted that and his owner, Jeremy Jacobs, is definitely not on his side with it but that's uh, that's just owner player relationship at all but anyways we'll save that for a different episode why don't we take this chance to jump into overtime here and take some questions from our incredible incredible patreon supporters uh all winged wheel podcast patrons um i said it to you before but a belated merry christmas a happy holidays uh however or whenever you celebrate we hope you've had a safe and healthy and um restful holiday so far um i know i did we are um we're intensely grateful for all the support you all show us and especially through the holidays you're the reason this show is able to happen you're the reason we're able to transition between being in studio to having to do these remote podcasts and this is the last hopefully for a while remote podcast we'll be back in studio for next episode um i'm out of quarantine as of tomorrow um there you go you you've done jinxed me yeah yeah, you two are next. Anyhow, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to help support the show. It's more likely than not. <laughs> um, a question from Ryan Kearns says, hey, boys, when Edvinson was drafted, Brad said he had um, he had questions about his hockey IQ and his pace. With what you've seen from him this season, where he's apparently playing very well and the World Juniors, has that evaluation changed? Um, The pace one hasn't the hockey iq has uh he still plays slow um relatively speaking like he he plays faster than most of his peers because he's just that much better but relative to other top prospects etc etc but yeah he does seem to be making way better decisions this year with the with and without the puck which is a phenomenal development the biggest development that you could have hoped for yeah. I would also boil the hockey IQ question more down to decision making solely rather than hockey IQ as a broader concept, because I think that's bigger than just decision making. But harking back to the his draft day, that was something where people thought there was uh there's room for refinement. People being us, but um just for anyone looking to evaluate his game, that's a little bit more of what we were talking uh talking about. Cody Stark says, World Junior question, how bad are the overreactions because of this two-week tournament? Like if the Red Wings should have chosen uh, Kosa over Wallstedt because Kosa um, didn't play too well and Wallstedt played great for two games. Um, any other overreactions like this from past years that you can think of? There's um, always a couple Byfield, guys. Well, who, who've been in the top two picks for the past 25 years? The, we'll just... I'll blanket cover that. Nail yeah. I feel didn't have huge. good tournaments and still went top two. So he's kind of the opposite of that argument. Um, it, it's worked positively and negatively before. I remember the world juniors was when was the first time people started really shooting Nico Heischer up the draft boards. Cause he had a really strong tournament. Um, None are coming to mind uh, off the top of my head, but there have been players who had really strong world juniors and then pretty mediocre rest of their draft seasons and then got drafted higher than they should have. It's always going to go both ways. This year, it's probably going to mute that a little bit because like we said, there's not a whole hell of a lot you can glean from this tournament, especially from the draft eligible guys. Um, MF says if Larkin continues to play at the level he's at right now, is he the elusive contender one C we've been looking for? Has his play raised the level of expectations moving forward? 
I feel like we're going to have, we've had this conversation every two weeks. Yes, he's a legitimate number one C, but as the Red Wings are constructed right now, he can't be your only C to be a contender. If they get another Larkin, it can happen. If they have to settle for a, a good but subpar second line C, no, they, they probably can't do it unless they go with the Nashville model or of just having the most ridiculous defense and goaltending you can imagine. Larkin can be your first line center on a cup winning team, but yeah, the support needs to be there. I will go so far as to say it doesn't have to be an excellent second line center. I think you can have a above average second line center, but if that's the case with Larkin and then player X, who's just above average for your second line, you need play driving wingers. And, and there's no, no, no two teams are built the same. Like, Larkin could be literally your only center if all your top six wingers are Artemi Panarin and Nikita Kucherov. Like, there are ways to do this, but when you have two very strong uh, top six centers, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to build out the rest of the roster. Um, question here from Matt S says this semi lockdown has given me 2020 vibes. I thought this was 2021 going into 2022. Um, who are some teams you think that are currently in a playoff spot that will not be come the spring and some teams that are currently out that will turn it around? Hope you three had a great Christmas with your families. Keep up the good work as always. Dub dubs. The obvious answer here is Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Sad as it is to say. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember who's in the playoff spot in the West. Let me go look that up. Nashville out, Winnipeg in. Nashville is currently in a a central division seed. Yeah, that's that's a good answer because I still don't have any faith. Nashville's won seven in a row somehow. Yeah. So in the East, the only obvious one I would say would be Detroit out, Boston in. But based on points percentage, we're already there. In the West, uh, man, I don't know how much I believe in Anaheim, but the the cushion they've built up might be hard to overcome. And actually looking at Nashville, maybe same. Yeah, I said firmly, but I guess they're kind of in it with St. Louis right now based on points percentage because Colorado just has fewer games played. That's why they're lower yeah. down on that list. Wow, Edmonton's fallen all the way to the second wild card. Holy shit. What a dumpster. Wow, it's uh, crazy what happens when your two best players in the world don't score. <laughs> and Vancouver- your defense is somehow worse than Detroit's. Vancouver's won six in a row and there's still <laughs> there's still okay, so many Vancouver spots. Vancouver and Anaheim out. Well, yeah, Vancouver's they're not in. I'm saying they're gonna be in. Oh. Well, I mean no. they're definitely not, but <laughs> Yeah, Winnipeg's the only team out of a playoff spot in the West that I, I think probably should be in, but I don't have a good contender who to replace them with. Uh, yeah, that, that could actually get fun. Um, a lot of these, some of these questions were, we obviously have the Patreon exclusive overtime that we post after the episode. Um, and we'll answer all of them, but we have another one here. C nods and it harks back to Larkin. Actually, the question just from now, can we take a moment and talk about Larkin? He's on a nearly 45 goal pace over 82 games and has looked electric, dominant and dynamic. Are we seeing the Lucas Raymond effect or is he living up to his potential or is it something else? Great pod guys and happy new year. Both. It's gotta be both. Both. Um, Jeremy Dolphin says Edvinson is looking incredible and I can't wait to see him in the winged wheel. Do you think they'll play him with Cider right away once he makes the team or have them play a part to split up the talent a bit? I can't see them going wrong either way, but as a fan, I definitely prefer to see them on a pairing together. So a lot of people have thrown it out there because obviously we've made a million jokes about the Cider Edvinson pairing being the best pairing in the league, but, uh, if you separate them for 50 minutes of a 60-minute game, you could have Simon Edmondson and Mo Sider or Mo Sider on the ice, which is pretty damn tempting. So that's yeah. probably the right answer. Yeah, the reality here is you're going to see a little bit of both, um, and that's that's going to naturally happen. I don't imagine a situation where we're not going to see at least a lot of Sider or Edmondson together 
in the future. But again, that's going to be dictated by what else the Red Wings do on their left side. When Edvinson comes in, that's not the defense solved, right? Like that's absolutely not the case. They they still have a lot of work to do. Um, You can't have Edvinson be your only solution. You need other guys to pan out. You need other good players to pan out. Your whole defense can't fall on those two guys. Your team can't be based off a couple of players at each position. It's just not sustainable winning hockey. So until the Red Wings have that depth, you're going to see a lot. There's a, there's just a lot more potential for Sider and Edmondson not to play together. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast and start recording our Patreon-exclusive version. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in and for bearing with our holiday break and for these remote episodes. Again, all things going to plan, which they don't anymore. Uh, we'll be back in studio next episode. Um, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, uh, our name-level sponsors of the Winged Wheel Podcast, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69 crying Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna Banana Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Zarly Zalapsky, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sankowski, Evan Watching Die Hard on Christmas Morning, Evans Tub Bubble, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeffrey Dunst, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max One Million Dollars, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. Hopefully by the time we talk again, we'll have seen the Red Wings play. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.